Welcome in. We're glad you're joining us for the latest edition of the Delaware Bible Cast, a podcast ministry from Delaware Bible Church. I'm Brad Harris. I'm thankful and blessed to be able to serve as pastor of administration and outreach at Delaware Bible Church, and as well serve for most of the episodes as the host of this podcast. Today we're going to continue in the second episode of our study in Christology, which is a part of our larger study of what we believe as a church, specifically the doctrines and things that we believe or that make our systematic theology as a church. Now, as we study Christology, we would say that Christology is the Christian doctrine that focuses on the character, nature, person, as well as role of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior for all who trust in Him as their Lord and personal Savior. Now, in last week's podcast, we focused our attention on finding Christ in the Old Testament, as well as Christ's humanity and some introductory remarks about Christology. In this podcast, we're going to focus our attention on Christ's deity, on his divine nature, as well as his work and his roles. Now, it's important to remember, as we've shared in each of these podcasts, and as we'll continue to, that as we view our structure of what we believe, as we look at our systematic theology, we do so acknowledging that we're studying these doctrines in such a way that they are individualized. We're studying Christology, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Yet all of these doctrines dovetail together. So, for example, in order to have a proper view of who Jesus is, I have to have a proper view of who God the Father is. And so we studied theology proper as we see who God is, his character, his attributes, his holiness, his goodness. And we see as well that Jesus Christ has these same attributes. As well, as we begin our study, at the base of it has to be bibliology, the study of the Bible. And that's because in order to have a proper view of who Jesus Christ is, we have to have a proper view of who the Bible says that he is. We have to believe that the Bible is inerrant, it's without error, that it gives us all that we need for life and godliness, that it is sufficient. We need to believe that it is truly given to us by God so that we can know all that we need to know about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and how to serve him as we minister here on this earth. And so, as we study these things, it's important for us to remember that these doctrines connect together to show us the fullness of who Jesus is, of his character and his attributes. And as we begin again, we're going to start by again affirming and reviewing what we believe as a church about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to share the points that we have in our doctrinal statement That's point number three, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to again remind you that you can find this doctrinal statement on our church website, DelawareBible.org, under the What We Believe section on the About tab. If you contact the church office as well, we will make sure to get you a copy of that printed and ready for you. But under point number three, the person and work of Christ, it says, A, that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit 
and born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful man. And under each of these points, there are several scripture references. For time's sake, I'm just going to read one of them, and I'm going to read a different one that I read in last week's podcast. So for this point, I'm going to read John chapter number 1, verses 1 through 2. We'll again look at John 1, 1 here in a little bit, as well as verse 14, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Point B, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a representative, vicarious, substitutionary sacrifice, and that our justification is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. And I can't wait to get into more of this here in this podcast in just a bit. Now I'm going to be sharing from 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 3 through 5, who, if you attend Delaware Bible Church and previously listened to our study in the book of 1 Peter over the summer, these were my favorite verses that were shared throughout that time. It shares in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just studying out those few verses, I think, would make a wonderful encouraging and edifying podcast. Then we get to point number C. I'm sorry, letter number C, where it says that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where, as our high priest, he fulfills the ministries of representative, intercessor, and advocate. And we will be looking at those tonight as we study the roles that Jesus partakes. And with that, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it describes Jesus' ascension, where it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Let's now shift our attention to Christ's divine status, his deity. And what we studied today will connect in with what we studied in our last podcast. As last week, we studied the hypostatic union, which showed us that Christ, who was already in his divine God state, in his supreme being status, took on human nature, being both fully, fully as a supreme God, ruling and reigning over all, while also being fully human, yet found without sin. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he became fully man, yet he was already fully God, and he was perfectly and completely both of these things at the same time. Now this had to be true, because if Christ had not been God, 
then he could not pay the perfect and full sacrifice on the cross to make a way for all sinners to come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ by calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. It had to work this way. And as we studied this, we saw that Jesus, emulated human, was the exact same as you and I in his physical stature, in his growth, in his growing, in his knowledge, in his faith, and all of these things. Yet, he was without sin. And interestingly, Jesus is given three names or titles throughout Scripture that speak to his deity. He's given the title of God. He's given the title Lord. And that word Lord is not one that we define or talk about too often and exactly what it means. But if we were to say someone is a Lord, that's defined as someone who has power, authority, or influence over whatever they have influence over. In this case, God, who has authority and reign over all creation, is the ultimate Lord or the capital L Lord. Oftentimes now we use a phrase such as a boss saying that they have supervision over us, but this is a greater mark of power, authority, and influence. Finally, he's known as the Son of God. Now all of these terms speak of his divine, heavenly status. Christ's deity is shown throughout the names that he's given, but it's also shown throughout his attributes. We see, first of all, that Jesus Christ is eternal. In John 1.1, we see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit having, having an eternal existence in time past, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As well, in John 8.58, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ is eternal. He has existed before time as we know it and will exist from beginning to end. He is just like God the Father, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Both God the Father as well as God the Son, and we can also say God the Holy Spirit, will be there throughout eternity. Now, Christ's deity also shows us that he is omnipresent. He is all-present everywhere at all times. Before Christ entered into heaven, he said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. God is, or Christ is omnipresent He is present everywhere. Yet he's also omniscient in that he is all-knowing. And we see this often in Jesus' ministry. As, for example, the Pharisees say something to him, trying to act act like they're spiritual as they say these things. And yet Jesus so often sees past their fake facades and he speaks to the truth of the matter. As well, he sees the humbleness and the hearts of those who are trying to serve him. And he then, again, ministers to them in such a manner where he can see past and he can see into things that other people can't because he's all-knowing, because he's both fully God and fully man. 
Yet, in John 2.25, we see that Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew of their sin and their depravity. And the Bible shares with us that he did not trust himself to man, but to God. It shares with us there in John 2.25 that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Finally, Jesus was omnipotent. He had authority and power over all heaven and all earth. Listen to these beautiful words from one of my favorite books of the Bible, Hebrews, chapter number 1, verses 1 through 4, where it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus was perfectly, completely, absolutely fully God and fully man. His death, with all of the same physical and spiritual struggles that we deal with here on earth, and yet was found without sin. Because of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, He paid the penalty for our sins and he made atonement or he corrected our previous wrongdoing so that if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior from sin, we will be saved. So let's talk about that atonement. Let's talk about the reparation for our wrong that Jesus made for us. And as we study this doctrine, it should be one that humbles us. We should first remember that it wasn't necessary for God to save anyone at all. God and all of his attributes would have been just as absolutely just, absolutely righteous, and absolutely perfect in all of his attributes by not saving anyone at all. Yet the first part of Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him, him being God's Son, Jesus Christ. God created humans in his image, as his image bearers, and he made a way of salvation for us that he made for none other of his creation. 2 Peter 2.4 shares with us that God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That God, in creating us in his image, gave us dominion over all other creation, and as well gave us the opportunity to abide in heaven with him forever. God created us to worship him. He made a way for humans that he never made for angels. And being an image bearer of God is something that should be incredibly humbling for us, not something that we take in pride of in and of ourselves because we didn't have anything to do with that. But we should make much of his atonement on our behalf. And we should be humbled by this atoning work that Jesus has done for us 
through his sacrifice on the cross. He made a way for us that was not made for any other creation. And the atonement provided a perfect sacrifice that was needed to pay the penalty for our sin. The perfect sacrifice that was made had to be Christ. Through God's perfect knowledge, he knew that his sacrifice had to be of himself through his Son because only he is holy, only he is completely set apart. And that was the only way to ensure that the sacrifice that was made was a perfect, flawless, sinless sacrifice. Now, we will continue to talk about this in future weeks as we get into soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. But as we study the atonement, we see that Christ's nature of atonement was one of active and of passive obedience. It was active in that Christ actively lived a life of perfect obedience to God in order to earn righteousness for us. He lived a perfect, complete, sinless life, and he had to completely obey the law for his entire life. He lived in perfect, sinless obedience to God's law. And that's why he is our perfect sacrifice, because of the way that he actively lived. But yet there's also passive obedience. And we see that Christ not only had to obey the law perfectly for his entire life, but he also had to take on himself the sufferings necessary to pay the penalty for our sins. These were not things that Jesus did, but that he took on. He did not sin, yet he had to take on our sins. In a sense, you could say that as we talk about the sufferings of Christ, that leaving the glories of heaven to come down to earth caused Jesus to suffer for his entire life. He was a holy being in a fallen world. In a broad sense, he suffered his entire life here on this earth. Yet the Bible shares that he was obedient unto that, and that he became obedient unto death, a death that he did not deserve to die, a death on the cross for our sins. Yet Jesus' greatest suffering is shown both emotionally and physically, as well as spiritually, at the cross. As Jesus suffered more pain physically, emotionally, and spiritually than any human has ever suffered, he went through a suffering that you and I will never be able to imagine. The spiritual pain that Christ suffered was completely unimaginable to us. In bearing the sins of man, Christ had to be separated from God the Father, since God is holy and cannot have anything to do with sin. Christ's death, then, is known as penal substitution. Penal meaning that Christ bore a penalty when he died. And substitution meaning that Christ was a substitute for us when he died. He bore our penalty and was our substitute. Jesus Christ made atonement for our sins. And because of that atonement, we can know and have a relationship with God the Father because of his gift. So let's conclude our time then by talking about the offices of Christ 
and how Christ is ministering to us now. As we study the offices or what Christ is doing now, we first see that Christ is a prophet. And we see other true prophets in the Bible, those speaking truth on behalf of God. But we don't see any prophet just like Jesus, because no other prophet fully revealed the will of the Father except for Jesus Christ. When Christ came, he completely revealed God the Father to the people. He explained God the Father to the people fully and completely. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Or how have we seen God physically in the flesh? Through Jesus Christ. Christ is a prophet, but he's also a priest. And Christ represented man to God. Now, as Christ represents us as a priest, remember, looking back on what we affirmed as a church on what we believe it says. It says that he is our high priest and he fulfills the ministry of being our representative, of representing us in front of, in behalf of Christ, of being our intercessor, of interceding for us, as well as our advocate. Now, as that, we see Christ represents us in these three ways, as representative of intercessor and of advocate, and that he continually holds this role. Hebrews 7.24 says that he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Again, speaking of Jesus being eternal. Now, As we studied Christ providing full atonement for our sins, as we studied him completely saving a believer, we know that this happens not only now, but for eternity. And Christ had no personal sins that harmed his work as a priest. Hebrews 7.27 says, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those of the uh, and for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So think of a priest during the Old Testament time period that would share sacrifices to God based on their own sins and then upon the sins of other people serving as the representative. Christ finished his priestly work by one offering, the offering of himself. Hebrews 10.12, I love this verse, It shares with us, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, just one, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's sitting down, affirming that the work was complete, and as well, confirming that Jesus Christ had a priestly or a kingly status, that he was not only our high priest, that he was not only our prophet, but he was a king. Now, speaking of him being our priest in his perfect sacrifice, just imagine for just a moment those men who were serving as priests during this time, daily on their feet, making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to atone for sins. Jesus Christ, after he had made his sacrifice, sat down, signifying that the work was complete 
It was done. It was finished. And as it was finished, there was no need, as the priest had, to get up the next day and do it all again. It was fully and completely finished. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your incredible grace shown through your Son, Jesus Christ. Finally, Jesus Christ was that of a king. And if we are to study passages such as Genesis 49.10, it shares with us, as we studied earlier, that Christ would come from a royal line and a priesthood, as we talked about the humanity of Christ last week. It shares with us that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. As Jesus Christ sits down at the right hand of the Father in heaven, this as well symbolizes his royal position. He is truly the King in heaven, ruling and reigning alongside God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So we've seen Jesus' deity. We've studied his atoning sacrifice and his roles. But what is Jesus doing today in heaven? And we'll conclude with these topics. Number one, Jesus Christ continues to build his church. The Bible shares with us that Christ is the head of the church and is in control over it. Not only that, but Matthew 16, 18 shares with us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the true church. That as we are members of the true church, although it's going to get bad, it's going to get ugly as we continue to see in the world around us. No matter how bad it gets, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's true church. Number two, he is interceding for us as believers. Going back to, again, what we shared from the person and work of Christ in our doctrinal statement. He serves as our high priest, fulfilling the ministries of our representative, of our intercessor, and our advocate taking care of the roles that are needed so that we can have a relationship with God. Finally, praise the Lord for this. Christ is preparing to come back and completely fulfill the prophecy and hope found in the gospel. Now, Christ isn't going to do this until all whom God has predestined before the foundation of the world have come to call upon Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that none of us know when this is going to happen, but that it will. And so as we study who Jesus is, as we've studied his humanity, his deity, his offices, his work, we can praise the Lord for what he has done through his son Jesus Christ, as we can have hope, as we can have peace, as we can have eternal life through his perfect sacrifice. This is, again, something that we're going to study more as we study soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. But additionally, it's going to be something that we see next as we look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's something that gives us more information and affirms more of what we know about God the Father. And it as well is reinforced to us by our study of bibliology, the study of the Bible. And so as we continue to connect the dots together, It's my hope and prayer that this uh, series of podcasts is encouraging to you. But as well, I want to encourage you to truly think and meditate on these truths. 
Most importantly, if you are listening in and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have not called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, trusting in Jesus' work and atoning for your sin. I hope that you won't let another moment go before you do that. I hope that you'll pause the podcast now and that you will pray and call upon the name of the Lord, admitting that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and trusting that Jesus Christ alone will save you from your sins. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll be encouraged and revel in these wonderful truths that are found in the Word of God. Thanks for listening in today. We look forward to sharing with you again here soon. Hope you have a wonderful week.